Hello and welcome to Pablo's channel. Hope you didn't got bored my little intro uh, voice there. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm stuck on that intro sound. I've got to keep some kind of momentum in these podcasts. <laughs> Even though I'm very amateur at doing it. And it's very free flowy. Um, well, free flowy in my brain. Where that goes. But anyway, we are back to recording, to doing more reading into Stanislav uh, Ross, possibly magnum opus, the groundbreaking psychedelic research into the realms of the human unconscious. LSD, Doorway to the Numinous. Okay, so the time is currently 20 to 8. I've got some relaxing sounds in the background. I'm once again in the dining room area with the lovely view at the Mersey Estuary. Uh, the weather's been nice today, although I've been at work in the beat, doing my sexual health triaging. And it was a nice shift actually today. Only two of us, which normally meant to have three, but uh, it flowed well. We managed to get through it. Luckily, Saturdays are quiet because we. Uh, we only do uh, what's called urgents, not um, not non-urgents, which will be something like you know, um, well, not obviously no, but uh, implants and uh, depots, all those we don't do. So uh, yeah, and uh, they get to know that, and they call during the weekday for that. Anyway, enough of my work, and let's get into the book, which is the most fascinating part, point of this whole podcast series. <laughs> okay, so, we are continuing with chapter, what chapter we're we up to, let's go back here. Uh, chapter four, perinatal experiences in LSD sessions. Uh, we're now up to the second matrix. We looked at the first one, which was perinatal, perinatal, perinatal matrix one, primal union with the mother, intrauterine experience before the onset of delivery. Now it's perinatal matrix two, which is antagonism with the mother, contractions in a closed uterine system. So we all went through this because we all, you know, were uh, an embryo once upon a time. We're all in, we all were in our mother's bellies. And um, the second part is uh, the start of our traumatic experiences. Because we're feeling the contractions of our mother. Deep, eh? Deep. Okay, let's go. So... The second perinatal matrix is related to the first clinical stage of delivery. The intrauterine existence that is under normal circumstances closed to ideal has come to an end. The world of the fetus is disturbed. At first insidiously through chemical influences, later in a grossly mechanical way by periodic uterine contractions. This creates a situation of extreme emergency and vital threat, with various signs of intense physical discomfort. In this phase, the uterine contractions encroach on the fetus, but the cervix is closed 
and the way out is not yet open. The mother and the child are a source of pain for each other and are in a state of biological antagonism and conflict. There exists a considerable variation in the duration of this stage as well as in the duration of the entire process of the delivery. It can be surmised that this experience is more devastating in a pathological delivery with a prolonged course due to a narrow pelvis or pelvic obstructions, abnormal fetal position, ineffective uterine contractions, excessive size of the child and other types of complications. It is, however, conceivable that the fear and confusion of an inexperienced mother or a distinctly negative or strongly ambivalent attitude of, of the mother toward the unborn child or toward the process of delivery itself can make this phase more difficult for both mother and child. Such feelings could interfere with the physiological interplay between the uterine contractions and the opening of the cervix. Uh, and we've got a star here. It is interesting to mention in this connection that many of my female subjects who relived in their LSD sessions the delivery of their children developed insights into how their negative feelings and attitudes interfered with the process of delivery. Elements of BPM2. What was that called? Basic, um, basic perinatal matrices. matrices. That's what BPM stands for. Elements of BPM2 uh, may occur in LSD sessions in a purely biological form as realistic recollections of this particular stage of the birth process. More frequently, however, the activation of this matrix results in a rather characteristic spiritual experience of no exit or hell. The subject feels encaged in a claustrophobic world and experiences incredible physical and psychological tortures. This experience is characterised by a striking darkness of the visual field and by ominous colours. Typically, this situation is absolutely unbearable and, at the same time, appears to be endless and hopeless. No escape can be seen either in time or in space. Frequently, the subject feels that even suicide would not terminate it and bring relief. The characteristic elements of this pattern can be experienced on several different levels. These levels can occur separately, simultaneously or in an alternating fashion. The deepest levels are related to various concepts of health, to situations of unbearable physical, psychological and metaphysical suffering that will never end, as they have been depicted by various religions. In a more superficial version of the same experiential pattern, the subject is preoccupied, preoccupied with the situation in this world and perceives it with a very definite negative bias. He is selectively aware only of the ugly, evil and hopeless aspects of existence. Our planet is perceived in this stage as an apocalyptic place full of terror, suffering, wars, epidemics, accidents and natural catastrophes. The individual is unable to find or appreciate anything good in the universe, whether positive aspects of human nature, pleasant episodes in life, natural beauty or the perfection of artistic creations. Typical for this experience is empathy and identification 
with the victimised, downtrodden and oppressed. A subject can experience himself as thousands of soldiers who have died on the battlefields of the whole world from the beginning of time, as the tortured victims of the Spanish Inquisition, as prisoners of concentration camps, as patients dying of terminal diseases, as ageing individuals who are decrepit, decrepit and senile, as mothers and children dying during delivery, or as inmates maltreated in chronic wards of insane and silence. Another typical category of visions related to this perinatal matrix involves the dehumanised, grotesque and bizarre world of automata, automata, robots and mechanical gadgets. The atmosphere of human monstrosities and anomalies in circus sideshows or of a meaningless honky-tonk or cardboard world. There's a drawing here, a drawing representing the experience of deep depression, hopelessness and despair in an LSD session. For a person experientially turned into elements of BPM2, human life seems seems bereft of any meaning. Existence appears not only nonsensical, but monstrous and absurd. And the search for any meaning in life, completely futile and, a priori, doomed to failure. People are seen as thrown into this world without any choice as to whether, where, when and to whom they are to be born. The only certainty in life appears to be the fact that its duration is limited and that it will end. The facts of human mortality and the impermanence of all things is seen as the, the molecules, uh, D-A-M-O-C-L-E-S, the molecules sword hanging over us during every minute of our lives and annihilating any hope that anything has meaning. A subject experiencing the encounter with death within the framework of BPM2 frequently makes the link between the agony of birth and that of death, which further reinforces his nihilism. In such a situation, he feels as though he is dying in the present moment and becomes deeply involved in eschatological ideation. At the same time, he can feel that his present agony is identical with the suffering that he experienced during his biological birth. He can also see himself in the future at the very end of his life and find that these same feelings are involved in the terminal agony. We suffer when we are born and we die in suffering. The agony of birth is identical with the agony of death. Whatever we attempt to do in between cannot change the fact that in death we are all equal and find ourselves in the same situation that we face during birth. We entered this world helpless, naked and without personal possessions and so we will leave it. This existential crisis is usually illustrated by a variety of visions depicting the meaningless of life and the absurdity of putting forth any effort to change this fact. Such visions can show the life and death of powerful kings and dictators, persons who have achieved extraordinary fame and reputation, or those who have accumulated unbelievable riches. The implicit or explicit message here is that in death such persons are not only different from ordinary people, simpletons, beggars and panhandling monks, Subjects who have faced this profound existential crisis frequently comment that this experience has helped them to understand the deepest meaning of expressions such as memento mori, 
Vanitas Vanatum, or Thou Art Dust, or To Dust Shalt Thou Return. For sophisticated individuals, this experience usually results in a fresh understanding and appreciation of existential philosophy and the works of such individuals as Martin Heidegger, Sven Kierkegaard, Albert Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre. Sartre and other existential philosophers and writers seem to be especially turned into, into this experiential complex where being able to find the only possible solution which is transcendence. LSE subjects often refer to Sartre's play Huit Clos, uh, H-U-I-T, and then C-L-O-S, Huit Clos, no exit, that means, as a brilliant description of the feelings experienced when they examine their lives and their interpersonal relationships under the influence of the no exit stencil of BPM2. So most have referred to Celine's The Journey to the End of the night as an excellent example of the selective focus on the negative aspect of human existence. Agonising feelings of separation, alienation, metaphysical loneliness, helplessness, hopelessness, inferiority and guilt are standard components of BPM2. Whether the individual looks at his present situation and behaviour or explores his past, the circumstances and events of his life seem to confirm that he is a worthless, useless and bad human being. Guilt feelings are usually quite out of proportion to the events to which the individual attaches them. They appear to have a primary quality intrinsic to human nature and can reach the metaphysical dimension of the biblical primal sin. Another important dimension of the no-exit situation is the feeling of pervading insanity. Subjects typically feel that they have lost all mental control and become permanently psychotic, or that they have gained the ultimate insight into the absurdity of the universe and will never be able to return to the merciful self-deception that is a necessary prerequisite for sanity. The symbolic images that accompany the experiences of BPM2 cover a rather broad cultural range. Most common are visions of hells as described and depicted by various religions. These can involve traditional Christian representations of hell, the underworld of the ancient Greeks, and comparable elements from the Hindu and Buddhist traditions. Particularly frequent are references to famous figures from Greek Sophonic mythology, that's a C-H-T-H-O-N-I-C. Syphysis. Sith, yeah, Sisyphus. Uh, that's S-I-S-Y-P-H-U-S. Syphysis, in his futile attempts to deliver a heavy boulder to the top of a mountain. Exion, uh, that's I-X-I-O-N. Exion, fixed to a rolling wheel. And Tantalus, vexed by agonising thirst and hunger with grapes and water seemingly within his reach and Prometheus chained to a rock and tortured by an eagle who feeds on his liver. Greek tragedy, with its emphasis on an unrelenting and irreconcilable curse, on guilt transcending trans generations and on inevitable fate, seems to be closely related to this area and is an important source of symbolic illustrations. A common image from the same tradition is that of 
The biblical themes occurring in this context involve the story of Adam and Eve's expulsion from paradise. Christ's visions in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane that's G-E-T-H-S-E-M for mother, A-N for November E, Gethsemane, and particularly his ridicule and humiliation, S-E homo, his suffering while carrying the cross to Calvary, and his biological and psychological agony during the crucifixion itself. Further, why hast thou forsaken me? The concept of the dark night of the soul, as described in the writings of St. John of the Cross, was also occasionally mentioned in this context. Another interesting source of symbolic images is the Buddha's life, the significance of his four passing sights, and the emphasis on suffering as expressed in his four noble truths. We've got a star here. The so-called four passing sights precipitated the Buddha's decision to leave his family and his luxurious life in the palace and stimulated his search for enlightenment. During his walks into the environs of the city, he saw successively four scenes that made an indelible, indelible impression on his mind. The first of them was an old man, decrepit, with broken teeth, grey hair and a crooked and bent body. The second one was a person lying by the road, racked with disease. On the third occasion, he saw a corpse. And finally, during his fourth walk, he encountered a monk with a shaven head and clad in an ochre robe. That's O-C-H-E-R. It is certainly interesting to notice that it is the brutal encounter with the phenomenon of the decrepitude of an old age, disease and death, BPM2, that seems to be instrumental in changing the emphasis of the LC subjects from their worldly ambitions to a spiritual search. Occasionally, situations and characters from world literature and specific creations of famous painters occur in LC sessions within the framework of the second perinatal matrix. Most frequent of these are references to Dante's descriptions of Inferno in his Divine Comedy, scenes from Emile Zola's books describing dark and repulsive aspects of human nature, and Fyodor Dostoevsky's novels with their emotional suffering, atmosphere of insanity and scenes of senseless brutality. Especially pertinent seem to be Edgar Allan Poe's macabre stories of inhuman tortures and horror. The paintings appearing in this context include Hieronymus Bosch's pictures of nightmarish and bizarre creatures. James Ensor's gloomy world of skeletons and morbid masquerades. Francisco Goya's images of the horrors of the war. The apocalyptic visions of Salvador Dali and other surrealists. And numerous famous representations of hell and the last judgment. The individual trapped in the no-exit situation clearly sees that human existence is meaningless, yet feels a desperate need to find meaning in life. This struggle often coincides with what is experienced as the attempts of the fetus to escape from the closed uterine system and save its life. 
The possible task of finding meaning in life might appear in this context as a necessary condition for being born into the world and terminating the unbearable no-exit situation. An interesting variety of the second perinatal matrix seems to be related to the very onset and initial stages of the delivery. This situation experienced in LSD accessions is an increasing awareness of an imminent and vital danger, or as cosmic engulfment. There is intense anxiety, but its source cannot be identified. The atmosphere of insidious threat may result in paranoid ideation. Not frequently, the subjects interprets these alarming feelings as evil influences coming from members of various secret organisations or inhabitants of other planets as poisoning, noxious radiation or toxic gases. Intensification of this experience typically results in the vision of gigantic and irresistible whirlpool, a cosmic maelstrom sucking the subject and his world relentlessly to its centre. A frequent experiential variation of this dangerous engulfment is that of being swallowed and incorporated by a terrifying monster, such as a giant dragon, python, octopus, whale or spider. A less dramatic form of the same experience seems to be the theme of descent into the underworld and the encounter with various monstrous entities. Typical physical symptoms associated with BPM2 involve extreme pressures on the head and body. Ringing in the ears, resembling the sensation experienced when diving in deep water. Excruciating pains in various parts of the body. Difficulties with breathing. Massive cardiac distress. And hot flushes and chills. As a memory matrix, BPM2 represents the basis for the recording of all unpleasant life situations in which an overwhelming destructive force imposes itself on the passive and helpless subject. The most typical and frequent examples are situations endangering survival and body integrity. Thus, the recollection of sensations connected with various operations, such as appendectomy, tonsillectomy, 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 setting of broken extremities and difficult tooth extractions, or even the complex reliving of the circumstances of such procedures occurs quite regularly in this context. The same is true for physical diseases, injuries and accidents, excessive muscular exertion and exhaustion, experiences of imprisonment and brutal methods of interrogation, and those involving prolonged extreme hunger and thirst. It has also been it has already been mentioned above that diseases and situations involving suffocation seem to be of special significance from this point of view. In subjects who experience a dramatic war situation in a passive law, siege, air raid, captivity, or were trapped in claustrophobic situation, coal mine, avalanche, debris of collapsed houses, and underwater passage. The memories of such events also occur in LSD sessions in close association with elements of BPM2. On a somewhat more subtle level, this category also involves memories of a helpless person's psychological frustrations, such as abandonment, emotional rejection or deprivation, threatening events and constricting or oppressing situations in the nuclear family. In regard to Freudian erogenic zones, 
This matrix seems to be related to a condition of unpleasant tension in all of them. On the oral level, it is hunger, thirst and painful stimuli. On the anal level, the tension of feces. And on the euphoral level, um, the tension of urine. The corresponding phenomena on the genital level are sexual frustration and excessive tension, as well as pains experienced by the delivering mother in the first stage of labour. If we think of the whole surface of the skin as an erogenic area, we can also include physical pain and unpleasant sensations in different parts of the body. The following training session of a young social scientist was dominated almost exclusively by elements of BPM2 and can be used as an example, an excellent example of the phenomenology of this matrix. In this session, the onset of the drug seemed to take a very long time. After a period of impatience that was covering anxiety, I began to experience a distinct feeling of malaise. The sickness enveloping me was at first very subtle. Mouth feelings of nausea and tension were making themselves manifest. Soon the nausea and tension were intensified to a point where every cell seemed to be involved. It is difficult indeed to describe this experience. It was, all, it was so all-encompassing. The slightly humorous description of every cell in my body being drilled by a dentist begins to convey the atmosphere of impending disaster emergency and excruciating pain that, for me, seemed to last for eternity. Though I saw no images, I began to think of Petronius, Seneca, Sartre, and other philosophers who deemed suicide the only meaningful death. I had the fancy of lying in a bath of warm water and my life's blood flowing out from my veins. In fact, I am quite convinced that I had that had I the means at that time, I would have killed myself. I was totally submerged in a situation from which there would be no escape except through death. And like life, the absurdity of it all, the exhaustion of carrying my pain-filled body through days, years, decades, a lifetime, seemed insane to me. Why did I have to be involved in something so utterly futile and painful as living, only to meet my death in agony? This state persisted for hours. I thought I would never leave that place, yet even though there was an element of strangeness about this state of consciousness, I recognised it as something familiar. It was a state that I had experienced before in various forms. In fact, it seemed to be the underlying matrix which has influenced my worldview and my mode of existence. To live it so intensely, if only for a few hours, in the form of an amplified hell from which there was no escape, was an important lesson. I knew during the latter part of the experience that I was no longer wanted to dwell on the suffering aspects of mankind, but did I have any choice in this matter? I felt that I would do anything to escape, but was there any way of escaping? I suddenly realised that on some level, I did not have any choice in this situation. I was being propelled through intimate cellular suffering, and it was being done to me. I could not turn it on or off. I thought about karma here, and started trying to puzzle out what in my past was responsible for leading me to such a monstrous place. But no amount of analysis yielded up any answers. 
I felt trapped in a maze from which there was no egress. I was struck and that was my fate. To be someplace that was not the creation of living but being caught on the wheel of suffering. And I loathed my fixation on suffering. But the more I could not accept my fate, the more difficult it became for me. It was as though I was a prisoner in a concentration camp. And the harder I tried to get out, the more I would be beaten. The more I struggled to free myself, the tighter the bonds would become. And yet, I knew somewhere deep inside that I had to fight. That I had to escape. And that I would. But how? This unrelenting anguish lasted for hours and persisted even into the latter por uh, portion of the session. In a, nearly, in a nearly normal state of consciousness, I still felt myself torn with anguish. I recognised more clearly the feelings that, leaked, that leak out of my unconscious to influence my daily life. They had all manifested themselves like familiar enemies and I wondered when the battle would be done. So now we're up to the next uh, matrix, perinatal matrix three, which is the synergism with the mother. Propulsion through the birth canal, the launch into the world, eh? Yeah, propulsion through the birth canal. This matrix is related to the second clinical stage of delivery. The uterine contractions continue. But the cervix stands wide open and the difficult and complicated process of propulsion through the birth canal gradually unfolds. For the foetus, this involves an enormous struggle for survival with mechanical crushing pressures and frequently a high degree of suffocation. The system is no longer closed, however, and a perspective of termination of the unbearable situation has appeared. The efforts and interests of the mother and child coincide their joint intense striving is aimed at ending this painful condition. During the conclusion of this stage, the child can come into contact with various kinds of biological material, such as blood, mucus, urine and faeces. Got um, a star here. In delivery, it's conducted outside the medical setting and without the use of enema and catheterization, as in catheter, catheterization, the involvement of feces and urine is quite common. Also, in many of the deliveries of the early decades of this century, the Latin saying, inter feces et uterinus nascumur, 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 um, sounds French, doesn't it? We are born among feces and urine, reflected a clinical reality rather than a philosophical metaphor. From the experiential point of view, this perinatal matrix is quite complex. It involves a variety of phenomena on, a diff on different levels that can be arranged in a rather typical sequence. In LSD sessions, it is experienced either as the reliving of the elements of the actual biological situation or in a symbolic form of the death rebirth struggle, or both. BPM3 has four distinct experiential aspects, namely titanic, sadomasochistic, sexual and scatological. It is important to emphasise that, in spite of this phenological variety, the underlying theme of the experiences related to BPM3 is the encounter with death. 
It takes, however, specific forms that are clearly distinguishable from those described under BPM2. The most important characteristic of this pattern is the atmosphere of a titanic struggle, frequently attaining catastrophic proportions. The intensity of painful tension reaches a degree that appears to be far beyond what any human can bear. The individual experiences sequences of immense condensation of energy and an explosive release and describes feelings of powerful currents of energy streaming through his whole body. The visions typically accompanying these experiences involve scenes of natural disasters and the unleashing of elemental forces, such as exploding volcanoes, devastating earthquakes, raging hurricanes, cyclones and tornadoes, electric storms, gigantic comets and meteors, expanding novas and various cosmic cataclysms. Equally frequent are images of similar events related to human activities, particularly to advanced technology. Explosions of atomic bombs, thermonuclear reactions, giant power plants and hydroelectric stations, high voltage cables, electrical condensers and flash discharges, the launching of missiles or spaceships, firing of guns and rockets, massive air raids and other dramatic aspects of war destruction. Some individuals describe complex catastrophic events and scenes of havoc, such as the destruction of Atlantis, the end of Pompeii or Herculean, the annihilation of Sodom and Gomorrah, the biblical Armageddon, or even an invasion from another planet, not dissimilar to H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Less frequently, the images involve destruction by water rather than by the element of fire. Here the individual experiences the enormous power of flooding rivers, stormy oceans and tidal waves or waterfalls, and, of course, frequently the atmosphere of the biblical deluge. One aspect of such experiences related to BPM3 deserves special uh, emphasis. Namely, the fact that the suffering and tension involved are intensified far beyond the level that the subject used to consider hu humanly po possible. When it reaches the absolute experiential limit, the situation ceases to have the quality of suffering and agony. The experience then changes into a wild, ecstatic rapture of cosmic proportions that can be referred to as volcanic ecstasy. In contrast to the peaceful and harmonious oceanic ecstasy typical of the first perinatal matrix, the volcanic type of ecstasy involves enormous explosive tension with many aggressive and destructive elements. Subjects usually alternate experientially between the anxiety and suffering of the victim or victims and the ability to identify with the fury of the elemental forces and to enjoy the destructive energy. In the state of volcanic ecstasy, various polar sensations and emotions melt into one undifferentiated complex that seems to contain the extremes of all possible dimensions of human experience. Pain and intense suffering cannot be distinguished from utmost pleasure. Caustic heat from freezing cold. Uh, murderous aggression from passionate love. Vital anxiety from religious rapture. And the agony of dying from the ecstasy of being born. The sadomasochistic element is a prominent and constant feature of experiences related to the third perinatal matrix. 
The sequences of scenes accompanied by enormous discharges of destructive and self-destructive impulses. And NGs can be so powerful that subjects refer to them as sadomasochistic orgies. This involves tortures and cruelties of all kinds, bestial murders and mass executions, violent battles and revolutions, exterminating expeditions such as the Crusades or the conquest of Mexico and Peru, mutilations and self-mutilations of religious fanatics as exemplified by various sects of flagellants, flagellants or the Russian Skopsy. Uh, that's a bloody, ri- bloody ritual sacrifice or self-sacrifice. Um, Skopsy, that's uh, S-K-O-P-Z-Y, Russian word, literally means rams, was a Russian religious sect, the members of which mutilate themselves, in particular by self-castration. Oh, God, one might have been part of the Skopsy. Uh, then the kamikaze phenomenon. Various terrifying modes of bloody suicide, or the senseless slaughtering of animals. Individuals tend to identify with ruthless dictators, tyrants, and cruel military leaders responsible for the death of thousands or millions of people, such as Emperor Nero, Genghis Khan, Francisco Pizarro, um, Hernando Cortes, uh, Hitler or Stalin. Other personalities, known for their sadistic perversions, also occur occasionally in this context. Salome, that's S-A-L-O-M-E, Cesar Borgia, C-E-S-A-R-E, and then B-O-R-G-I-A. Vlad Tepes of um, of Transylvania, Count Dracula, and that's uh, Vlad the Impaler. Elizabeth Bathory, oh yeah, I remember her now, as well as famous contemporary mass murders, yeah. Elizabeth Bathory, that's her name. We've got uh, uh, an image here. Looks like an owl. Then a car. Strange. Uh, yeah, it's an owl and the car. Changes, doesn't it? It's one of these optical illusion things. But it says a symbolic self-portrait drawn by a patient after one of his LSD sessions, which was characterised by aggression, orientated both outward and inward. A stylized bird of prey is crushing with its right claw a helpless mouse. The left claw is transformed into a cannon and turned against the predator's own head. The antique car on top reflects a play on words. Self-portrait equal auto-portrait. Well, it suggests the relationship of this type of aggression to reckless driving. And then we've got another picture here. Four pictures, in fact representing unbridled murderous aggression, which is a frequent experience in perinatal LSD sessions. LSD subjects turned into BPM3 feels that they not only can understand the motivations of such deviants, but that they themselves harbour in their unconscious forces of the same nature and intensity and could, under certain circumstances, commit similar crimes. They can assume quite readily all the roles involved in complex sadomasochistic scenes, such as the group sacrifice of Christians in ancient Rome by emoliation on the crosses or by predatory beasts in the arena. The Aztec 
hacker tombs in which tens of thousands victims were ritually slaughtered in a single day. The burning heretics in mass auto de fez. Uh, that's auto and then D-A and then F-E-S. D-E were an accent on it. Auto de fez uh, of the Holy Inquisition. Um, or the cool and premeditated atrocities of the Nazis. The power struggle in the royal courts and the political circles of all ages with its cloak and dagger atmosphere is another frequent symbolism of this type. Oh, we've got a... When I mentioned um, Vlad Tepes, it's got a, it's got a star beside it. I'll read that now. Vlad Tepes, T-E-P-E-S, or the Voivode Dracula, that's a V-O-I-V-O-D-E, was a minor ruler who, in the 15th century, governed the small province of Wallachia. Uh, W-A-L-A-C-H-I-A. His nickname, Tepes, T-E-P-E-S, means literally the Impaler. There you go, the Impaler. It refers to his habit of impaling executed victims on the ends of pointed sticks. According to some sources, he was responsible for the execution of over a 100,000 victims. He was used by the Irish writer Bram Stoker as an inspiration for his novel, Dracula. And then there's Elizabeth Balfe Bathory, that's B-A-T-H-O-R-Y, was a 16th century Hungarian countess who tortured young girls and then murdered them so that she could bathe in their blood. She was also known for excessive use of an ingenious torturing gadget, the Iron Maiden. Okay. If the two above aspects of BPM-3, namely the titanic and the sadomasochistic, are experienced in a mitigated form, visions and experiences of various wild adventures result. The most typical of these are hunts for large and dangerous animals, fights with monstrous constrictor snakes, encounters of scuba divers with sharks, octopi and other treacherous sea creatures, ancient gladiator combats, um, discoveries of new continents and battles of the conquistadors with the original inhabitants, outer space explorations and science fiction type adventures, as well as acrobatic flying, parachuting, hazardous car races, boxing and other dangerous sports. Another important aspect of the third perinatal matrix is excessive sexual excitement. And we've got a... Uh, I'll start beside this. It's an interesting theoretical problem why excessive sexual tension and excitement is an important and standard component of the birth experience. Observations from LSD sessions, as well as several other areas, seem to indicate that this association has a physiological basis. That suffocation and asymia, I think that's how you pronounce it, asymia, I've seen that word before, I S C H E M I A. The simia result in intense sexual stimulation has been observed in criminals executed by hanging. Frequent occurrence of erection and even ejaculation in males dying on the gallows. And also in persons who attempted suicide by hanging and were rescued. The intimate link between physical suffering and sexual excitement is also well known from psychopathology. In sadomasochism, 
inflicting or experiencing pain in a necessary prerequisite for sexual satisfaction. Observations from extreme war situations where captives and prisoners were exposed to inhuman tortures seem to suggest that the ability to transcend excessive suffering into pleasure and even ecstasy is intrinsic to human nature. Um, according, this is back to this page. according to the description of LSD subjects, the sensations involved uh, resembled the first part of the sexual orgasm, characterised by a progressive increment of instinctual tension. Here, however, it is incomparably more intense and appears to be generalised to the entire organism, rather than limited to the genital area. Individuals sometimes spend hours in overwhelming sexual ecstasy, expressing their feelings in orgiastic movements. The accompanying images reflect endless varieties of wild orgies with all the possible variations of sex. Subjects can identify with oriental harem, harem, <laughs> harem owners, uh, with participants in phallic worship or in unbridled fertility rites, with male and female prostitutes and pimps, or with historical personalities and fictional characters who became famous as sexual symbols, such as Don Juan, Jacopo, uh, Casanova, J-A-C-O-P-O, Rasputin, Father Grandeur, Mary Magdalene, Maria Teresa, and Poppier, Poppier? P-O-P-P-A-E-A, Poppier? An individual can experience scenes from Soho, Pigalle, P-I-G-A-L-L-E, and other famous red light and nightclub districts of the world, participate in the most ingenious strip shows and group orgies, become part of Babylonian religious ceremonies involving indiscriminate promiscuous sex, or witness and partake of wild primitive rituals with sensual rhythmic dances and a strong sexual undertone. A particularly common element occurring in these sessions is the atmosphere of colourful, dynamic and lascivious carnivals, with the characteristic mixture of amusing, exhilarating and joyful elements with the bizarre, grotesque and macabre ones. The unleashing of the otherwise repressed uh, sexual and aggressive impulse constitutes another similarity between LSD experiences of this type and the atmosphere of carnivals in Rio de Janeiro, Nice and Trinidad and or the Mardi Gras in New Orleans, to which the LSD subjects so frequently refer to refer in this context. The scatological aspect of BPM3 seems to belong to the final stage of the death-rebirth struggle and often immediately precedes the experience of birth and re or rebirth. Its essential characteristic is an intimate encounter with various kinds of biological material identified as mucus, sweat, products of putre putrefaction, menstrual blood, urine and faeces. In addition to visual and tactile elements, this experience also involves rather realistic olfactory and gustatory sensations. Subjects may have very authentic feelings of eating feces, uh, drinking blood or urine, or sucking on putrefying wounds. Those are quite frequent are fantasies or vivid experiences of cunnilingus performed under rather unhygienic conditions. Initially, the individual has a strong negative reaction toward the biolog biological materials involved. He finds them disgusting and revolting. It is not exceptional, however, 
that this attitude later changes into passive acceptance or even strange primitive enjoyment. Here's a star beside this one. These experiences seem to be closely related to some unusual sexual perversions, such as coprophilia. That's C O P R O P H I L I A. Fascination by feces and other materials, usually considered revolting. Coprophagia. That's eating feces in or outside of a sexual framework. Or urolagnia. Lagnia. That's U R U R O L A G N I A. Drinking of urine. Urolagnia. The observations from LSD sessions add a new dimension to the understanding of these abnormalities. The deepest motivational force for these deviations appears to be the association between the contact with such biological materials and the termination of the agonising experience of birth. Sometimes the scatological elements appear in a symbolic pictorial form, such as tons of garbage emanating disgusting odours, piles of decomposing offal or decaying fish, putrefying human corpses and animal cadavers, neglected pig styes with large dunghills and stagnating, stagnating urine, giant overflowing cesspools and the bowels of urban sewer systems. Mythological symbolism observed in this context involves such images as Hercules cleansing the stables of King Aegeus, A-U-G-E-A-S, and harpies contaminating the food of the helpless. Blind Finnis, P-H-I-N-E-U-S, and the aesthetic goddess of childbirth and carnal lust. Telekrentol, T-L-A-C-O-L-T-E-N-T-L. Probably pronounce that totally wrong. Telekrentol, or devourer of filth who was believed to take away the sins of mankind. One important experience related to the third perinatal matrix deserves mentioning in this connection. It is the encounter with consuming fire, which is perceived as having a purifying quality. The individual who, in the preceding experiences, had discovered all the ugly, disgusting, degrading and horrifying aspects of his penalty, finds himself thrown into this fire or deliberately, deliberately plunges into it and passes through it. The fire appears to destroy everything that is rotten and corrupt in the individual and prepares him for the renewing and rejuvenating experience of rebirth. Sophisticated subjects referred in this context to the medieval practices of exercising evil forces by the immolation of heretics and persons accused of witchcraft, to the self-sacrifice by fire of the Buddhist monks, and to the test of by fire that was part of the sequence of initiation into the hermetic tradition. Such subjects reported that they achieved interesting insights into these phenomena, as well as a new understanding of the symbolism of certain pieces of art, such as the rejuvenating fire that maintained the eternal youth of the high priestess in Ryder Haggard's She and the Emboliation of Siegfried and Brunhild at the end of Richard Wagner's Gottendammerung that heralds the twilight of the old gods. A very appropriate symbol associated with the idea of the purifying fire seems to be that of the phoenix, the legendary bird who sets his nest on fire and finds his death in the flames. 
The heat of the fire facilitates the hatching of a new phoenix from an egg in the burning nest. The religious symbolism of BPM3 is typically related to religions that use and glorify bloody sacrifice as an important part of their ceremonies. Quite frequent are allusions to the terrible punishing God, Yahweh, of the Old Testament and to the stories about Abraham and Isaac, the biblical deluge, the ten Egyptian scourges and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Similarly, a vision of Moses and the burning bush can appear in this context. The Ten Commandments seem to represent the specific safeguard against all the negative aspects and the temptations of man that become so clearly manifested in BPM3. Elements from the New Testament particularly involve the symbolism of the Last Supper and the transcending aspects of the crucifixion and of Christ's suffering, as well as the positive aspects of the Last Judgment. The concept of purgatory in different cultural variations belongs to this category as well. Particularly frequent are images from various pre-Columbian cultures focusing on human sacrifice and self-sacrifice, such as, such as is found in the ceremonies of the Aztec, Mayan or Olmec religions. Ritual cannibalism also seems to be rooted in the experiential, experiential matrix. Sometimes subjects report elaborate scenes of worship of bloodthirsty deities resembling Kali, Moloch, Hecate, Astarte, Huitzilcapotli, or Lilith. The ambiguous, the ambiguous symbol of the Sphinx, which seems to represent the destructive female element, as well as the transcendence of the animal aspect of man, deserves special notice here. Visions of religious ceremonies involving sensuality, sexual arousal and wild rhythmic dances, from the Bacchanalia of the ancient Greeks to the Aboriginal tribal rituals, are quite common symbolic illustrations of the rebirth struggle. Some individuals describe experiences that strongly resemble those preceding the Buddha's enlightenment, particularly the effort of the master magician of the world illusion, Kamara, that's M-A-R-A, Desire Death, to discourage the Buddha from his spiritual search by the use of sexual temptation and the threat of death. One observation that deserves attention is the relevance of BPM3 for the understanding of phenomena occurring as part of the satanic mass and the black Sabbath rituals. In this context, sex, usually in the form of group orgies, is combined with extreme sadomasochistic elements including animal or human sacrifice, ritual defloration, and psychological or physical torture. Frequently, there is an emphasis on biological material, such as blood, menstrual discharge, miscarriage of fetuses and intestines. The setting is usually morbid and macabre, and the general atmosphere is that of blasphemy, horror and death. A peculiar mixture of sex, death and scatology appear, appears to be quite common as exemplified by instances of sexual intercourse performed upon the entrails of a disemboweled animal, or in the cemetery in an open grave. The combination of perverted sex, sadomasochism, scatology, and emphasis on death with elements of blasphemy, inverted religious symbolism, and a quasi-religious atmosphere is characteristic of BPM3. Subjects tuned into this matrix Frequent report experiences of participating in Walpurgis Night, that's W-A-L-P, 
P-U-R-G-I-S. You know, a black mass or a satanic sexual practices. This usually results in, in, in insight into the psychology of the inquisitors and the witch hunters. These experiences seem to suggest a far-reaching similarity between the state of mind of the actual practitioners of the black arts and their fanatic persecutors. The behaviour of both these groups betrays infants of the third perinatal matrix. In LSD sessions, elements typical of BPM3 are frequently intermingled with images related to famous paintings or works of specific writers and philosophers. Particularly common are references to thematically related pictures by the fantastic realists and surrealists, to Leonardo da Vinci's sketches of diabolical war machines and his bizarre human caricatures, and Peter Paul Rubin's world of obese and sensuous mythological fig figures indulging in opulent feasts and bacchanalian orgies. Many of Vincent van Gogh's paintings seem to contain mitigated elements of volcanic ecstasy, as exemplified by his canvases of high sepulchres reaching toward the glowing sun, fields of undulant ripe corn, and an atmosphere full of dynamic vibrations. The Gothic spirit is especially relevant for the third perinatal matrix. Both the courageous and challenging forms of its architecture which seem to reflect intense spiritual striving, and El Greco's tall and slender ascetic figures, which appear to be straining toward the sky. Also frequent are allusions to Purgatorio, exemplified in Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy, to the esoteric symbolism in the second volume of Goethe's Faust, to some of the tales of Edgar Allan Poe, and to the basic themes in Richard Wagner's operas, particularly Tanhauser, Parsifal, and the Nibelungenring. <laughs> Nibelungenring. In this regard, the experience of volcanic ecstasy seems to be closely related to Friedrich Nietzsche's concept of the Dionysian element in man. Reference to famous thrillers and gothic novels, as well as to science fiction literature, are so numerous in this context that detailed treatment will transcend the framework of this discussion. The experiences of BPM3 are often accompanied by illuminating insights into human nature, society and culture. They seem to throw a new light on the phenomenon of violence, war and revolution, the psychology of sex and various aspects of the world's religions and artistic movements. In this connection, a subject will typically scrutinise the value system that has previously dominated his life. He has to reconsider the sensibleness of complicated power schemes as compared to a simple and quiet existence. The relevance of love and interpersonal relationships versus professional ambitions aimed at status, fame and possessions. And the emotional value of pursuing shallow and promiscuous sexual adventures instead of cultivating one meaningful love relationship. It is in the context of this perinatal matrix that the hierarchy of values appear to undergo the most profound transformation and crystallisation. A typical cluster of physical manifestations regularly accompanying BPM3 seems to confirm the relationship of this matrix to the biological birth trauma. These physical manifestations include enormous pressure on the head and body, choking, suffocating, suffocation, sorry, 
and strangulation, torturing pains in various parts of the organism, serious cardiac stress, alternating chills and hot flushes, profuse sweating, nausea and projectile vomiting, increased bowel movements, urge to urinate, accompanied by problems of sphincter control, and generalised muscular tension discharged in various tremors, twitches, shaking, jerks, and complex twisting movements. As a memory matrix, BPM3 can be associated with recollections of active attacks in wars and revolutions, hunting for wild animals, dramatic experiences in the military service, hazardous driving, parachuting or acrobatic diving, and wrestling and boxing with a strong enemy. Another typical group of memories that are relived in this context involves experiences in amusement parks and nightclubs, wild parties with abuse of alcohol and promiscuous sex, colourful carnivals and other highly sensual adventures. Primal scenes from childhood, including sadistic interpretation of sexual intercourse and experiences of seduction by adults, as well as sexual molestation and rape, also seem to belong to this category. It was frequently observed that female subjects reliving their own birth usually re-experience, on a more superficial level, the delivery of their children. Both experiences were usually relived simultaneously, so that these women often could not tell whether they were giving birth or being born themselves. In regards to the Freudian erogenic zones, BPM3 seems to be related to those activities that lead to sudden relief and relaxation after a prolonged period of tension. On the oral level, it is the act of chewing and swallowing of food, but also termination of gastric discomfort by vomiting. On the anal and urethral level, it is the process of defecation and urination after prolonged retention. On the genital level, we can find striking parallels between this matrix and the first stage of sexual orgasm, as well as the process of delivering a child. Statoacoustic eroticism, such as intense rocking and jolting of children, gymnastics and acrobatics, also seems to be related to BPM3. At least a certain portion of aggression in all the erogenic zones seems to be derived from BPM3. All aggression with cramps of the chewing muscles can be traced back to the frustration the child experiences in the birth canal where its jaws are locked together by eternal pressure. Shortcut connections can be demonstrated at this between the elements of this matrix and anal, urethral and phallic aggression. Reflex urination or even defecation by both mother and child during delivery seems to suggest a deep involvement of these functions. A combination of libidinal feelings and painful physical sensations with extreme aggression in this phase seems to be the basic route for later masochistic and sadistic tendencies. Although the phenomenology of BPM3 is too ramified and complex to be manifested in its entirety in any single LSD session, the following account of the training session of a clinical psychologist and psychotherapist has enough of the essential characteristics of this perinatal matrix to be used as a good example in this context. The first thing I remember from this session was feeling a very important relationship with Joan, the co-therapist, loving her in some strong and unfamiliar way. It then developed that a good part of the love 
that I was feeling for her was a sense of oneness with her and anticipation that some very large and terrifying thing was in store for me in this session in relation to this identification with Joan. It quickly became apparent that this large and terrifying thing was the birth experience and that Stan and Joan were my parents. Not that I not that I thought they were my biological parents. I knew who they were, but that I thought that they were my new parents taking me on the second birth experience and that Joan was giving birth to me. But the identity with her made it the, ca the case that I was giving birth to her as well and that we were in fact giving birth to each other. I had a powerful sense that I was in touch with one of the most basic cosmic processes. But there was some strange problem about my about my being a man who could never give biological birth. That somehow I was breaking the cycle. Then that vanished and I experienced some ancient feminine archetype in myself. That of the delivering mother. The role of mother was somehow clearer to me than the role of baby for a long time. I felt filled with my baby, who was both myself and Joan, and totally frustratingly unable to give birth, to open myself and let go. I was a mother without a vagina, a mother without the birth canal, a mother with no way to give birth to the life pounding inside of me. I struggled and struggled to find a way to let go, to let her out, to give birth. I never succeeded. The experience of being born was very, very confused. I never really, never really clearly saw the birth canal or the process of birth or the relief of birth. I only knew that I was being pushed and crushed and wildly confused. The clearest part of my role as baby was being immersed in what seemed to me like filth and slime that was all over me and in my mouth choking me. I tried and tried to spit it out, to get rid of it, and finally managed to clear my mouth and throat with a huge scream. And I began to breathe. That was one of the major moments of release in the session. Another aspect of the birth experience was confusion resulting from the fact that the genitals and thighs of women were the place of sex and love. And also the place where the nightmare of birth and filth had happened. There were many images of the torture and the tortured as the same person, very much as the baby and the baby were the same person. At one point, I experienced the horrors of Buchenwald, um, B-U-C-H-E-N-W-A-L-D, and I saw Stan as a Nazi. I had no hatred for him, only a profound sense that he, the Nazi, and I, the Jew, were the same person. That I was as much the torture and the murder as I was the victim. I could feel myself as Nazi as well as Jew. At one point I felt dangerous and warned Joan to be careful of me. I felt my teeth becoming dangerous, poisonous fangs, and I knew I was turning into a vampire. I found myself aloft in a dark night on, a great, on great bat wings with my ominous fangs bared and my claws venomous and extended. I felt I was one with a group of witches, a coven of witches, Riding the night air. Death riding the night air. Filled with stars but no moon. Dangerous evil filled with the power of the of the witch. 
Something ended that I think it was to change in the music. The scene passed and they fell in, into an ecstatic, floating, shimmering radiance. For a long time, then, the next section, as I recall it, was tremendously erotic. I went through a whole series of sexual orgies and fantasies in which I played all roles in which Joan and Stan were sometimes involved and sometimes not. It became very clear to me that there was no difference between sex and the process of birth, and that the slippery movements of sex were identical with the slippery movements of birth. I learned easily that every time the woman squeezed me, I had to simply give way and slide wherever she pushed me. If I did not struggle and did not fight, the squeezing turned out to be intensely pleasurable. Sometimes I wondered if there would be an end and no exit, and if I would suffocate. But each time I was pushed and my body was contorted out of shape. I let go and slid easily into whatever I was being sent. My body was covered with the same slime as it was earlier in the session, but it, was, it no longer was a bit disgusting. It was the divine lubricant which made it so easy to give way and be pushed and guided. Over and over again, I had the experience that this is all that it, it is to it. There is to it. Sorry, that this is all there is to it. And it is so incredibly simple. That all the years of struggle, of pain, or trying to understand, or trying to think it out, were all absurd. And that all the time, it had been right here in front of me. That it was so very simple. You simply let go, and life squeezes you, and pushes you, and gently you, gentles you, and guides you through its journey. Amazing, fantastic, what an extraordinary joke that I had been so fooled by the complexities of life. Over and over again, I had the experience and laughed with intense pleasure. So to the last uh, perinatal matrix, perinatal matrix uh, four. And I think I will stop there. Um, or, actually, no, I won't. I'm going to pause, have some dinner, and then continue with the last one. And then there's another subheading. So the last one's called, um, it's Perinatal Matrix 4, Separation from the Mother, Termination of the Symbiotic Union and Formation of a New Type of Relationship. And then we've got another subheading, uh, Significance of Basic Perinatal Matrix in LSD Psychotherapy. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> the Perinatal Matrix 4. Separation from the mother, termination of the symbiotic union, and the formation of a new type of relationship. This matrix is related to the third clinical stage of delivery. The agonising experiences culminate. The propulsion through the birth canal is coming to an end. And finally, the ultimate intensification of tension and suffering is followed by a sudden relief and relaxation. The period of impeded and usually insufficient supply of oxygen is terminated as well. The child takes its first deep breath and its respiratory pathways open and unfold. The umbilical cord is cut and the blood that previously circulated in the umbilical vessels is redirected into the pulmonary area. 
The physical separation from the mother has been completed. And the child starts his existence as an anatomically independent individual. After full physiological balance is re-established, the new situation is incomparably better than the two preceding stages. But it is in several important aspects worse than the original un, undis, undisturbed, the, the original undisturbed primal union with the mother. The biological needs of the child are not being satisfied on a continuous basis, nor is it automatically protected from extremes of temperature, disturbing noises, changing intensity of light, and unpleasant tactile sensations. To what extent the experiences in the postnatal period, BPM4, approximate the prenatal experiences, BPM1, depend to a great degree on the quality of mothering. Like the other matrices, BPM4 has a biological and a spiritual facet. Its activation in LSD sessions can result in a concrete, realistic reliving of the circumstances of the biological birth. This can sometimes involve surprising and quite specific details that can on occasion be verified by independent questioning of witnesses. Most frequent are references to the odours of the anaesthetics used, sound of surgical instruments or other noises, type of illumination in the room, type of illumination in the room or operation setting, and particularly Certain aspects of the birth, breech position, umbilical cord twisted around the neck, use of forceps, resuscitation manoeuvres. The manifestation of BPM4 on a symbolic and spiritual level constitutes the death-rebirth experience. It represents the termination and resolution of the death-rebirth struggle. Suffering and agony culminate in the experience of total annihilation on all levels, physical, emotional, intellectual, ethical, and transcendental. The individual experiences final biological destruction, emotional defeat, intellectual debacle, and utmost moral humiliation. This is usually illustrated by a rapid sequence of images of events from his past, as well as from his present life situation. He feels that he is an absolute failure in life from any an imaginable point of view. His entire world seems to be collapsing and he is losing all previously meaningful reference points. This experience is usually referred to as ego death. After the subject has experienced the very depth of total annihilation and hit the cosmic bottom, he is struck by visions of blinding white or golden light and has the feeling of enormous decompression and expansion of space. The general atmosphere is that of liberation, redemption, salvation, love and forgiveness. The individual feels cleansed and purged, as if he had, has disposed of an incredible amount of garbage, guilt, aggression and anxiety. He experiences overwhelming love for his fellow men, appreciation of warm human relationships, solidarity and friendship. Such feelings are accompanied by humility and a tendency to engage in service and charitable activities. Irrational and exaggerated ambition, craving for money, status, prestige 
or power appear in this state to be absurd and childish desires. It is difficult to believe that these values were once considered important and were so assiduously pursued. It should be obvious from this description that there are certain overlapping elements between BPM4 and BPM1. As a matter of fact, the experience of biological birth and spiritual rebirth is often followed by feelings of cosmic unity. In this context, transcendental elements merge together with the good womb and good breast experiences and pleasant childhood memories into one single complex. The individual's appreciation of natural beauty is greatly enhanced and a simple and uncomplicated way of life in close contact with nature appears to be the most desirable mode of existence. The depth and wisdom in systems of thought that advocate this orientation toward life, whether they are Rousseau's philosophy or the teachings of Taoism and Zen Buddhism, seem obvious and unquestionable. In this state, all the sensory pathways are wide open and there is an increased sensitivity and enjoyment of the perceptual nuances discovered in the external world. But the perception of the environment has a certain primary quality. Every sensory stimulus, be it visual, acoustic, olfactory, gustatory or tactile, appears to be completely fresh and new and at the same time unusually exciting and stimulating. Subjects talk about really seeing the world for the first time in their lives, about discovering entirely new ways of listening to music, and finding endless pleasure in smells and tastes. The individual tuned into this experiential realm usually discovers within himself generally positive values, such as a sense of justice, appreciation of beauty, feelings of love, self-respect and respect for others. These values, as well as motivation to pursue them and act in accordance with them, seem to be, on this level, an intrinsic part of the human personality. They cannot be interpreted in psychoanalytic terms as reaction, from, as reaction formations to opposite tendencies or as sublimation of primitive instinctual drives. The individual experiences them without any conflict. As a natural, logical and integral part of a higher universal order. It is interesting in this connection to point to the striking parallels with Abraham Maslow's concepts of meta-values and meta-motivations, derived from the observations of persons who had spontaneous peak experiences in their everyday life. In an individual who has completed the death-rebirth sequence and stabilised under the influence of BPM4, the feelings of joy and relief are accompanied by deep emotional and physical relaxation, serenity and tranquility. Occasionally it can be observed that the feelings of liberation and personal triumph are accentuated and exaggerated to the point of becoming a caricature. The behaviour of a person in this state has a driven and manic quality. He cannot sit or lie quietly runs around advertising loudly the overwhelming beauty and significance of his experience, wants to arrange a big party to celebrate this event, and makes grandiose plans for changing the world. This situation indicates that the experience of rebirth has not been fully completed. Such, as indi such an individual is already experientially, experientially turned, tuned, sorry, tuned into the BPM4, but is still under the influence of unresolved elements of BPM3, particularly anxiety and aggression. 
After these residual negative underlying feelings are worked through and integrated, the experience of rebirth appears in a pure form. The positive atmosphere of BPM4 can also be suddenly interrupted by specific complex of unpleasant symptoms. It involves piercing and penetrating pains in the umbilical area, which usually radiate and are projected to the urinary bladder, penis and testicles, or the uterus. They are accompanied by breathing difficulties, feeling of agony and emergency, sensations of dramatic shifts within the body, an intense fear of death and of castration. This fear can be associated with the, with the reliving of memories of events that involve threats of castration or were interpreted as such. Most common of them is the procedure of circumcision in uncircumcised persons, other surgical interventions on the penis, such as an operation for phimosis, um, F-I-M-O-R-S-I-S, or in its proximity, such a repetition of a scrotal or inguinal, inguinal hernia, uh, inguinal, I-N-G-R-U-I-N-A-L, and painful inflammations of the foreskin. Female subjects can relive in this connection sensations associated with dilation of the cervix and curvetage, that's C-U-R-E-T-T-A-G-E. Artificial abortions complicated by infections, severe cystitis and postpartum, and other gynecological inflammations. This episode, usually of short duration, was identified by some subjects as reliving of the crisis connected with the cutting of the umbilical cord. It can be distinguished from similar experiences related to previous stage BPM3 by a complete absence of feeling of external pressure and by the fact that the pains are localised in the pelvic area. Observations from LSD sessions indicate that this experience represents a deep source of castration fears. The religious and mythological symbolism of the fourth perinatal matrix is rich and multiform and, like other matrices, can draw on different cultural traditions. The experience of ego death is frequently associated with images of various terrifying and destructive deities mentioned earlier. A subject can experience himself as being sacrificed to the goddess Kali. While suffering the terminal agony, he has to face her horrible image, listen to the chilling rattle of the skulls on her necklace, and kiss and lick her bloody vagina. He can also identify with a baby thrown by his mother into the devouring flames glowing inside a gigantic statue of Moloch and can share with many other infants the death in this immolation immolation, um, ritual. The final destruction has on several occasions been experienced as coming from a powerful crushing step of Shiva the Destroyer performing his awe-inspiring dance in the burning ground. Another frequent symbol of the ego death is the experience of the victim sacrificed to the Aztec god, the Aztec sun god, Huitzilopochtli. I'll spell that: H-U-I-T-Z-I-L-O-P-O-C-H-T-L-I. Huitzilopochtli. Here, the individual feels that his body is being opened by an obsidian knife, and his living heart torn out of his body by the high priest. The death-rebirth sequence is often symbolised by identification with specific deities, such as the pre-Columbian god, 
Quetzalcoatl, appearing in the form of a plumed serpent, or the Egyptian god Osiris, killed and dismembered by his evil brother Set, and reassembled by his wife and sister, Isis. Occasionally, other deities symbolising death and resurrection, among them Dionysus, Orpheus, Orpheus sorry, Personophy, and Adonis, appear in a similar context. Probably the most common symbolic framework for this experience is Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, the mystery of Good Friday, and the unveiling of the Holy Grail. These are typically associated with intuitive insights in the, into the fundamental significance and relevance of this symbolism as the deepest core of the Christian faith. As a result of such experiences, even those subjects who were previously strongly opposed to Christianity genuinely appreciate the value of this spiritual message. The perinatal roots of Christianity are clearly revealed by its simultaneous emphasis on agony and death, Christ on the cross, the perils of the newborn child, Herod's killing of the children, and on maternal care and protection, the Virgin Mary with little Jesus. An individual who has overcome all the enormous hardships and vicissitudes of the birth agony and is enjoying the experience of rebirth usually has triumphant and heroic feelings, typically accompanied by images of superhuman achievements or of a final victory over various mythological monsters. Hercules as a baby vanquishing the gigantic snakes that attacked him, or as an adult accomplishing difficult labours. St George slaying the dragon. Thesis defeating the Minotaur, Mithra killing the bull in the sacrificial cave, or Perseus outwitting and slaughtering Medusa. Other terrifying creatures emerging in this context resemble the Sphinx, Hydra, Chimera, Echidna, Typhon, and similar representatives of the mythological bestiary. The experience of rebirth also involves the element of victory of the forces of good and light over those of evil and darkness. This aspect can be illustrated by images such as those of the Vedic god Indra's decimating um, with his thunderbolts hosts sorry, with his thunderbolt hosts of demons of darkness. The Nordic god falls smashing dangerous giants with his magic hammer, or the victory of the armies of Ahura Mazda over those of Ariman as described in the ancient Persian Zend Avesta. The liberating aspects of rebirth and the affirmation of positive forces in eras are frequently expressed in visions of radiant, blinding light that has a supernatural quality and seems to come from a divine source. Occasionally, translucent, heavenly blue haze, beautiful rainbow spectrums, or displays of subtle and intricate patterns resembling peacock Feathers can occur in, in lieu of clear light. Very characteristic of this stage are non-figurative images of God perceived as pure spiritual energy, as a transcendental or cosmic sun. A special type of this experience appears to be the Atman-Brahman union, as described in sacred Hindu texts. Here the individual feels that he is experiencing the innermost divine core of his being. His individual self, Atman, 
is losing its seemingly separate identity and reuniting with what is perceived as its divine source, the universal self, Rahman. This results in feelings of immediate contact or identity with the beyond within, with God, Tat Van Asi, or Dot Out That, of the Upanishads. Also quite common are personified images of God, exemplified by the traditional Christian representation of God as a benevolent, wise old man, sitting on a richly decorated throne and surrounded by cherubim and seraphim in radiant splendour. Some subjects experience at the point at this point union with the archetypal great mother, or a more specific version thereof, such as the divine Isis of the ancient Egyptians. Another representation of this same theme is the symbolism of entering Valhalla, or being admitted to the feast of the Greek gods on Mount Olympus, and enjoying the taste of nectar and ambrosia. Secular symbolism related to BPM4 involves the overthrow of a tyrant or despotic ruler, the defeat of a totalitarian political regime, the end of long and exhausting war, survival and natural catastrophes or the termination of a dangerous and critical situation. Very typical for this perinatal matrix are visions of gigantic whores with richly decorated columns, huge statues of white marble and crystal chandeliers. The symbolism involving images related to nature deserves a special notice. Before the discussion of the elements occurring in the context of BPM4, it seems appropriate to make a few general comments. There is this quite characteristic and fixed association between individual perinatal matrices and cosmobiological cycles, seasons of the year and certain aspects of natural phenomena. Thus, images related to BPM2 typically involve barren winter landscapes, arid and inhospitable deserts, the moon's surface and other settings hostile to life, black and dangerous looking caverns, treacherous swamps, the beginning of tempests and ocean storms, with increasing atmospheric tension and darkening of the sky and the eclipsed and setting sun. BPM3 is associated with images showing the raging of elemental forces in nature, such as volcanic eruptions, hurricanes, electric and ocean storms, earthquakes and cosmic catastrophes, as well as dangerous jungles and the undersea world teeming with predators. Symbolism characteristic of BPM4 selectively depicts situations following periods of elemental outbursts and crises, such as spring landscapes with melting snow or ice breaking on rivers luscious meadows and idyllic pastures in springtime, with shepherds playing flutes, trees covered with fresh buds and blossoms, and quiet and peaceful atmosphere after a tempest, with beautiful rainbows in the skies, crystalline sunrises after cold nights, and deep oceans calmed after wild storms. Um, got a star beside this, the explosive release of emotional and physical repressive and restricting forces, liberation from character armour, is often symbolically expressed as crackling icebergs, or sorry, cracking icebergs, or melting masses of snow, and the free flow of water released from them. Um, particularly characteristic and appropriate symbols for BPM4 seem to be high 
snow-capped mountain peaks touching the blue sky. With refreshingly cold air and streaming sunlight, the spiritual achievement of rebirth is frequently represented as a successful ascent of a steep, high peak. Over to the innocent world of newborn animals, birds hatching from eggs, the parents feeding their young appear frequently in this context. To complete the series of parallels between perinatal maesties and phenomena of nature, it has to be added that images typical of BPM1 selectively depict scenes in which natural beauty is combined with safety, fertility and generosity. Physical manifestations typical of BPM4 are prolonged withholding of breath, suffocation and increasing muscular tension, followed by sudden inspiration, relief, relaxation and feelings of perfect physiological well-being. In regard to memory, BPM4 represents the matrix for the recording of situations characterised by escape from danger. In this context, subjects can relive memories from periods immediately following wars and revolutions, with particular emphasis on joyful celebrations, as well as survival in air raids, accidents, operations, serious diseases or situations of near drowning. Another typical, another typical group of recollections involves various difficult life situations that the subject resolved by his own active efforts and skill. All Marx assesses of this of the entire life can occur in connection with this matrix as if in a rapid flashback. As far as the Freudian erogenic zones are concerned, this matrix corresponds on all developmental levels with the condition of satisfaction following activity that discharges or reduces tension. On the oral level, it is satisfaction of thirst and hunger, or termination of severe nausea by vomiting or the pleasure accompanying sucking or following oral destruction of an object. On the anal level, it is the satisfaction following defecation, and on the urethral level, the relief evoked by emptying the urinary bladder. The corresponding phenomenon on the genital level is the relaxation immediately following sexual orgasm. In females, it is also the pleasure associated with the delivery of children. The transition from BPM3 to BPM4 and the phenomenology of the fourth perinatal matrix can be well illustrated by the following excerpt from a training LSD session of a clergyman. The music began to sound distorted and it was moving very rapidly. The crescendos were like sharp thrusts of a spear upward. At this point I started to experience considerable confusion. I was still aware of my identity and that I was lying on the couch in the treatment room. Waves of heat began to pass over me, and I was vaguely aware of perspiring. The trembling was still going on, and I began to feel a little bit of nausea at this point. Then, quite suddenly, my wild symphony took over. It was as if I were first at the top of a roller coaster, gradually being drawn over the precipice, losing control, and being quite unable to arrest the downward plunge that I, would, that I could see was ahead of me. One analogy I thought of was that this was like swallowing a key of dynamite with the fuse already lit. The fuse was inaccessible. The dynamite was going to explode and there was nothing I could do about it. The last thing I can remember hearing before my roller coaster began 
going down, going down was music that sounded as though it came from a million earphones. My head was enormous at this time, and I had a thousand ears, each one with a different headset on, each earphone bringing in a different music. This was the greatest confusion I have ever felt in my life. I was aware of being on the couch. I was dying right there, and there was nothing I could do about it. Every time I would try to stop it, I became panicky and terror-ridden. The only thing to do was to go back towards it. The words trust and obey, trust and obey, trust and obey came through me and in what seemed like a flash. I was no longer lying on the couch. I did not have my present identity. Several scenes began to take place. It seemed as though they happened all at once. But let me string them out to try to make some sense of them. The first scene was plunging down into a swamp filled with hideous creatures. These creatures were moving toward me, but they were unable to reach me. All of a sudden the swamp was transformed into a canal in Venice, just under the Bridge of Sighs. My family, my wife and my children were standing on the bridge, looking down at me in the swamp. There was no expression on their faces. They were simply standing there looking at me. The best way of describing this roller coaster and its entrance into the loss of control would be to compare it to walking on a slippery, very slippery surface. There would be surfaces all over the place and finally all of them would become slippery and there would be nothing left to hold on to. One was slipping, slipping and going further and further down into oblivion. The scene that finally completed my death was a very horrible scene in a square of a medieval town. The square was surrounded by gothic cathedral facades and from that statue ne- and from the statue niches in these facades and from the gargoyle downspouts in the eaves, animals, persons, animal-human combinations, devils, spirits, all the figures that one observes in the paintings of Hieronymus Bosch came down from the cathedrals into the square and moved in on me. While the animals the humans and demons pressed in upon me in the square before these gothic cathedrals. I began to experience intense agony and pain, panic, terror and horror. There was a line of pressure between the temples of my head and I was dying. I was absolutely certain of this. I was dying and I died. My death was completed with the pressures overwhel- when the pressures overwhelmed me and I was expelled into another world. It turned out that this outer world was to be a continuation of deaths at a very different level. However, now the panic, the terror were all gone. All that was left was the anguish and the pain as I participated in the death of all men. I began to experience the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was Christ, but but also everyone as Christ and all men died as we made our way in the drug dirge-like procession towards Golgotha, G-O-L-G-O-T-H-A. At this time, my experience there was no longer any confusion. The visions were perfectly clear. The pain was intense and the sorrow was just, just agonising. It was at this point that the blood tear from the face of God began to flow. I did not see the face of God, but his tear began to flow, his, t- his tear maybe, his tear 
began to flow. And it began to flow out over the world as God himself participated in the death of all men and in the suffering of all men. The sorrow of this moment is still so intense that it's difficult for me to speak of it. We move towards Golgotha, and there, in agony greater than any I have ever experienced, I was crucified with Christ and all men on the cross. I was Christ, and I was crucified, and I died. When all men died on the cross, there began the most heavenly music I have ever heard in my entire life. It was incredibly beautiful. It was the voice of angels singing, and we began slowly to rise. There was again, almost like birth, the death on the cross happened. And there was a swishing sound as the winds rushed from the cross into another world. The gradual rising of all men began to take place. These were great processions in enormous cathedrals. Candles and light and gold and incense, all moving up. I had no sense of my personal existence at this time. I was in all the possessions, and all the possessions were in me. I was every man, and every man began to rise. The awe and splendour of this rising was almost beyond description. We were rising toward light, higher and higher, through majestic white marble pillars. We left behind the blues, the greens, the reds, and the purples, the gold of the cathedrals, and the royal garbs of some of the people. We rose into whiteness. The columns were rising between were white and pure. The music was soaring. Everyone was singing and then there occurred the vision. This vision has an entirely different feeling about it from anything else I experienced in the whole LSD session. It still feels like a vision. As if a vision were actually given to me. It was so real. The resurrection garment of our Lord touched me. Yet you have to understand it did not touch me. It touched all men, and yet in touching all men, it touched me. When it touched, several things happened at once, as they did many times during this experience. We all became very small, as small as a cell, as small as an atom. We all became very humble and bowed down. I was filled with peace and feelings of joy and love. I loved God completely. While this was happening, the touch of the garment was like a high-voltage wire. Everything exploded and exploded us into the highest place there is. The place of absolute light. It was silent. There was no music. It was pure light. It was like being at the very centre of the energy source. It was like being in God. Not just in God's presence, but in God and in participating in God. This did not last long, although time means nothing during this experience. And we began the descent. It was not a descent into a world that had ever been known before. It was a descent into a world of very, very great beauty. During the singing of the choirs, during the sanctus, the glorious, and the hosannas, occasionally an oracle's voice could be heard. Want nothing, want nothing. I can still hear that voice. It was followed by another voice singing, seek nothing, seek nothing. During this central part of the session, many other visions occurred, and I would like to share them with you. One major vision that I encountered was looking down through the earth to the foundations of the universe. I went down to the depths and discovered the secret that God is praised from the depths as well as from the heights. 
Also, in the depths of the universe, the light can be seen. In the depths of the universe are many prison cells. As they went through these cells, the cell doors opened, and the prisoners came forth, praising God. Another powerful vision in this session was that of a figure walking in a wide, beautiful river in a deep, broad valley. Easter lilies were growing up through the river's surface, and the river was flowing quietly and gently. The river was surrounded by very high mountains with many, many watersheds coming down into the valley floor. Into the scene came the voice. The river of life flows toward the mouth of God. I wanted very much to be in the river and cannot yet tell whether I was walking in the river or whether I was the river myself. The river moved and as I, it moved toward the mouth of God, hauled the persons, animals, all the creation came down the watersheds and poured into the mainstream of the river of life. When my symphony began to come to an end, I felt myself rousing and being located back in the session room. I was still filled with awe and humility and peace and blessedness and joy. I distinctly had the sensation of having been with God in the energy centre of the universe. I still have the feeling with me very strongly that all men are one and the river of life does flow into God and that there is there are no distinctions between people, friends or enemies, black or white, male or female, that we all are one. So that was the end of the fourth um the you know the last of the uh, perinatal matrices. Look, we can see swallows. I never noticed the swallows outside, but it's fine outside. And it's ten o'clock. Wow, and still light. Okay, um so I'm gonna read the conclusion which is titled Significance of Basic Perinatal Matrices in LSD Psychotherapy. For didactic reasons, the basic Perinatal matrices have been described here in the order of the corresponding phases of delivery during actual childbirth. It is necessary to emphasise, however, that in LSD therapy or in individual LSD sessions, this natural chronological order is never maintained. Perinatal matrices occur in various patterns and combinations of sequences that show great inter-individual and intra-individual variability. The polyform and multi-level configurations unfolding in this process are contingent on a number of variables, the most obvious of them being the personality of the subject and specific aspects of his past history, the type of clinical symptomatology involved or the lack thereof, the circumstances of his present life situation, the personality of the therapist or sitter and the set and setting. In psycholytic therapy of severely disturbed psychiatric patients, especially psychoneurotics, it can take a long time and a great number of sessions to work through all the layers of traumatic experiences from their individual life history. When the psychodynamic level has been transcended and perinatal elements appear in the sessions, these patients usually first confront the no-exit situation, BPM2. With an increasing number of sessions, the phenomenon related to the death-rebirth struggle, BPM3, come to the foreground. Occasionally, 
brief episodes of Rebirth BPM4 and of Cosmic Unity BPM1 occur in this context. Finally, when the ego death and rebirth is experienced in a pure and final form, the pathway is open to elements of the first perinatal matrix and to various clearly transpersonal dynamic structures. Following this, the phenomena related to the biological birth, BPM2, BPM3 and BPM4, usually disappear from the sessions and do not recur with the LSD when the LSD procedure is continued. All subsequent sessions consist almost exclusively of transpersonal experiences and have a definite religious and mystical emphasis. In individuals who are less emotionally disturbed and in normal subjects, positive ecstatic experiences related to BPM4 and BPM1 can appear in the early sessions of the series, especially with the use of higher dosages. In these cases, the first hours of the sessions are usually dominated by BPM2 and BPM3. And the remaining two matrices, BPM4 and BPM1, occur in the termination period. In psychedelic therapy, the perinatal levels are frequently reached in the first sessions with formal subjects, with normal subjects, with patients facing death from incurable diseases, and with most categories of psychiatric patients. It seems that the use of high dosages, special preparation and therapeutic techniques, eye shades and stereophonic music can expedite and facilitate the occurrence of experiences of rebirth and cosmic unity. The concept of the basic perinatal matrices is very useful for understanding the dynamics of LSD sessions involving the death-rebirth phenomena and of the corresponding post-session intervals. The governing function of these matrices is comparable to the role of the COEX systems on the psychodynamic level. The specific, the specific clinical implications of this concept are discussed in detail in my book LSD Psychotherapy, which focuses primarily on the practical aspects of LSD psychotherapy. In this context, it will be only briefly outlined. Activation of a particular perinatal matrix influences the way the subject experiences the person's present in his LSD session, as well as his immediate physical environment. His perception is determined by the specific content of the matrix involved. The events that take place during the termination period of a session are of crucial importance for its outcome and for the nature of the post-session interval. If the subject is under the strong influence of one of the perinatal matrices at the time when the pharmacological action of the drug is wearing off, he can experience the influence of this matrix in a mitigated form for days, weeks or, or months after the actual session has ended. These consequences are quite distinct and characteristic for each of the four perinatal matrices. When the termination period of an LSD session is governed by BPM2 and the subject stabilises under its influence, the post-session interval is characterised by deep depression. In this situation, an individual is vexed by various highly unpleasant feelings. Anxiety, guilt, inferiority and shame seem to dominate his thinking about the past. His present life appears to be unbearable and fraught with problems that have no solution, and the future looks utterly hopeless. Life is devoid of any meaning, and there is an absolute inability to enjoy anything. The world is perceived as threatening, ominous, and without colour. The subject feels that everything is closing in on him. 
Suicidal craving is not uncommon in this situation. It usually has the form of a wish to fall asleep or to be unconscious. Forget everything and never wake up again. Persons in this state of mind have fantasies about taking an overdose of sleeping pills or narcotics, drinking themselves to death, inhaling illuminating gas, drowning in deep water, or walking into snow and freezing suicide one. Typical physical symptoms accompanying this condition are headaches, oppression of the chest, breathing difficulties, various cardiac complaints, ringing in the ears, constipation, loss of appetite, and lack of interest in sex. Quite common are feelings of exhaustion and fatigue, drowsiness and somnolence, and attempting to spend the entire day in bed in a darkened room. Stabilisation of an LSD session under the hegemony of BPM3 results in feelings of intense aggressive tension associated frequently with strong but vague apprehension and anticipation of, cat- of catastrophe. Anticipation of a catastrophe. Subjects in this state frequently liken themselves to time bombs, ready to explode any minute. They oscillate between destructive and self-destructive impulse and are afraid of hurting other people or themselves. Typical is a high degree of irritability and a strong tendency to provoke violent conflicts. The world is perceived as a dangerous and unpredictable place where one has to be constantly on guard prepared to fight and struggle for survival. Painful awareness of one's real or imagined handicaps and limitations combined with exaggerated ambitions and efforts to prove oneself. In contrast to the inhibited and tearless depression related to BPM2, the manifestations here resemble an agitated depression accompanied by emotional incontinence and psychomotor excitement. Suicidal thoughts and tendencies are quite frequent and follow a pattern distinctly different from that described from BPM2. Individuals in this state contemplate bloody and violent suicides, such as throwing oneself under a train, jumping from a window or a cliff, harakiri, never heard that one, H-A-R-A-K-I-R-I, or shooting oneself, suicide too. Typical physical symptoms associated with the, this syndrome involves intense muscular tension, frequently resulting in tremors, twitches and jerks, headaches, pains in various other parts of the body, nausea with occasional vomiting, intensification of intestinal activity and diarrhoea, frequent urination or disturbances thereof, and profuse sweating. A characteristic manifestation in the sexual area is excessive augmentation of the libidinal drive for which even repeated orgasms do not bring satisfactory relief. In male subjects, this intensification of sexual tension is sometimes associated with impotence and premature ejaculation. In females, with premenstrual emotional turbulence, dysmenorrhea, dysmenorrhea, D-Y-S-M-E-N-O-R-R-H-E-A, and painful genital cramps during intercourse, Vaginismus, vaginismus. Subjects whose LSD session terminates under the influence of BPM4 present a very different picture. The most remarkable aspect of this state is the often dramatic alleviation with a disappearance of previous psychopathological symptoms and a decrease of emotional problems of all kinds. 
Individuals feel that they have left the past behind and that they are capable of starting an entirely new chapter of their lives. Exhilarating feelings of freedom from anxiety, depression and guilt are associated with deep physical relaxation and a sense of perfect functioning of all physiological processes. Life appears simple and exciting and the individual has the feeling of unusual sensory richness and intense joy. As far as BPM1 is concerned, the individual can stabilise under the influence of its positive or negative aspects. In the former case, the, po- the post-session interval resembles the one described for BPM4. All the feelings involved are, however, much deeper and are experienced in a religious or mystical framework. Subjects see new dimensions in the universe, have strong feelings of being an integral part of creation, and tend to regard ordinary things in everyday life, such as meals, walks in nature, playing with children, or sexual intercourse, as sacred. The experience of cosmic unity has an unusual therapeutic potential and can have lasting beneficial consequences for the individual. If the subject remains after an LSD session under the influence of the negative aspects of BPM1, he experiences various forms and degrees of emotional and physical distress associated with conceptual confusion. These difficulties are typically interpreted in in a metaphysical framework, in a cult, mystical or religious terms. The above unpleasant condition is attributed to adverse forces of destiny, bad karma, malefic astrological or cosmobiological influences or various evil spiritual entities. In extreme cases, this condition can reach psychotic proportions. After the individual works through and integrates the experience, he assumes a tentative and metaphorical approach to this to his previous interpretations. And that, my friend, just hitting under two hours is the end of that. So that was just that was part two of chapter four, was it? Which was obviously a big chapter. But yeah, it went through all the perinatal uh, experiences. Fascinating. Very fascinating, Stanislav Groff. Hats off to you. Great, uh, great bit of research and um, models here. I think, yeah, brilliant. Okay, so we're going to look into his next uh, concept, which is transpersonal, and that's chapter five, which is called Transpersonal Experiences in LSD Sessions. So please, please join me in the next episode of Pablo's Channel.